All right, y'all, welcome back to the Unfazed, Unedited Podcast. I cannot believe that it is already the second episode of 2024. Uh, welcome, welcome. Um, we are going to provide commentary on complicated topics in an uncomplicated format. I'm Shauna Payne Gold. I go by she, her, hers pronouns, and I have Dr. Lisa with me. So how are you doing? I am doing well. Hello, everyone. My pronouns are she, her also. I'm excited to dive into the second episode of 2024. We have lots to talk about. Um, So hopefully we will get your brain synapses sparking (laughs) in this this early time in January so that you can go down a few rabbit holes after listening to us. Um, So how about we jump right in? Yeah, Lisa, I was about to say, uh, if folks got to listen to our conversation prior to this podcast, we don't do anything scripted, y'all, but we do get an idea of what topics we want to discuss. And so the pre-conversation to the podcast probably could have been its own podcast in and of itself, because to Dr. Lisa's point, these topics are extremely complex. Uh, even for those of us who do it for a living, has been doing it for a living for a very long time. So if it's complicated for us, just know that you're probably uh, witnessing our brain synapses firing and trying to figure things out as well. So um, we're glad you're here to think alongside us. So um, let's dive into phase one, which I've been extremely excited to talk about, which is American fiction. So if y'all have not seen the movie, y'all need to go see it. Um, Jeffrey Wright was incredible in the movie. Sterling K. Brown from This Is Us was also, an, I mean, he almost you know took the whole movie away with his role as brother. Um, and then Tracy Ellis Ross, uh, who was the sister uh, to Jeffrey Wright's character. And so it was just an incredible movie. Um, a few things that I wanted to share with you um, about the movie um, is that number one, it wasn't in mainstream theaters, y'all. Every time you saw an ad for American fiction, which was very cool if you get to see the um, actual poster for the movie, it was always mentioned that it was in select theaters. And so part of me made it, uh, it made it seem to me that it was like an independent film, right? And once I got into the film to see how nuanced it was, oh my God. I mean, it's, I now see why it probably would not necessarily make money mainstream initially because yes, it's entertaining, but if you're showing up to that movie to not think, you're not going to get it. <laughs> like you do need the brain synapses firing for American fiction. Um, so that's the first thing I noticed just even in the ads for it. And so I ended up going to an independent theater uh, in downtown DC uh, and got to see the movie. Um, a few things, just to give you the short version of the plot. Jeffrey Wright plays the character of a professor who's been asked to take a break because he is very challenging when it comes to uh, issues of race, identity, understandings of identity, writing about identity. And so he literally uh, is sending students away in tears because he's willing to challenge their thought around these topics. And so anyway, fast forward, he's, of course, an author. And we know author money comes and goes. It's not like a regular paycheck here. So of course he has to supplement income, Um, but he's written a fantastic book that no publisher will pick up. And as a black man, he's so frustrated by that, that he jokingly writes this manuscript that really makes fun of the stereotypes of black people thinking, this is a joke. 
you know, people might ha-ha, but I doubt very seriously that any publisher is going to pick it up. His Puerto Rican uh, publicist sends it out to a couple of publishers and they do pick it up. In fact, they pick it up for ridiculous amounts of money and he almost doesn't want to believe it, right? And so it ends up being that um, there's some other subplots going on. His mother is ill, which costs a lot of money uh, to take care of her, those types of things. So he does need this book income in order to keep the households afloat. And so he's at this fork in the road of this conundrum of, do I continue to kind of sell my soul to the publishing industry on the description of Black people that I know is not true because the money is needed, or do I stand my ground, uh, continue to not have a lucrative experience writing a book that I do stand behind? And so that's kind of the the plot that's going on there with, with American fiction. So as you can see, that's that's how the title comes about with the fiction piece in regards to the book. But I thought it was very interesting that it is just American fiction because he keeps asserting that publishers, white and very supremacist thinking publishers are thinking, you know, the book is not black enough. And I remember one line where he says, of course the book is black enough. It's my book and I'm black. That should be enough. <laughs> and so I just found it. It was just an incredible movie that I hope everyone gets to watch. Lisa, I know you tried to watch it, but it's in independent I theaters did. most likely, but I hope folks get mm -hmm. to watch it. And, and Lisa, we might circle back um, maybe with something else to kind of talk about your thoughts on it as well. Yeah, I um, had looked it up online because I'd seen a trailer for it in the movies and then um, it said that it was available on Amazon Prime. So I went on, got myself situated on New Year's Eve, was going to watch the movie and it was not available in my area. So even streaming, it's, been, it's been limited streaming. Um, but I do really want to see it because I was, my interest was piqued by the trailer and then when you started talking about how good it was because... There's another show on Hulu called The Other Black Girl that I have been wanting you to watch. And it's also set in the publishing industry. And so the publishing industry is notoriously white. Um, and a lot of white supremacist values infuse that industry about which books get published um, and who are the editors, who are the people that are running these big publishing houses um, and the types of stories. So it actually... Um, kind of dovetails nicely with that TV show, although the TV show is about something else, but it is set in the publishing industry. So I am looking forward to watching it because, you know, lo and behold, another industry that is, you know, intertwined with notions of whiteness and what is and is not sellable or appropriate or correct, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. Well, and you know, I it's, that old saying of being caught between a rock and a hard place because you know again which happens often um with people of color with lgbt folks with folks that don't want to compromise on who we are but yet we're obviously both uh what is it li literally and figuratively undervalued constantly so the fact that this character couldn't sell an authentic book as a black man is very concerning, yet, you know, 
what is it? Art imitates life type thing. That's how it felt as I was watching the entire thing. Um, you know, just the idea that all black people speak the same way, think the same way, are the same way. You know, I'm I'm thinking right now about my very small circle of eight black women. And you could probably you couldn't find any other commonality amongst the group other than we are black and female. Everything else is completely different. We come out at different places about topics and so forth. So, you know, just that whole monolith piece, the film challenges that. Um, the film does challenge the burden that the world puts on Black women. Um, Lisa, you and I, I can't remember which episode, but I know in the past we have talked specifically about invisible labor and that's reasserted yes, over yes. and over mm -hmm. and over again. So um, I remember in one small scene, um, Jeffrey comes into the house and the electricity is cut off. Well, the assumption was that the woman of the house was going to pay the bill. Well, I'm sorry to be a spoiler, y'all, but the woman of the house passed away. So the bill wasn't paid. So the mere fact that no one thought that someone needs to pick up these responsibilities, that even shows like in death, the responsibility was on someone else and someone didn't pick it up. So, you know, those types of things. Um, and so I just really think it's a good movie for folks to watch. And I would also say, Lisa, it was very curious to me. I could tell um, in community, you know, think about sitting in a movie theater. I was grateful from what I picked up. Thank you, white folks, for laughing at the right times, right? Th there were times where it was like, black folks know this is ridiculous. I pray that y'all white folks also know this is ridiculous. And so you laugh at the right time, because if you don't laugh, then my assumption is you think that's true. So, you know, all that was really interesting in community. So I encourage y'all go out, see American fiction. Um, it's already been nominated for several awards. You know, it brings together blackness, black women and their stress. Um, it brings in the LGBT community in there a bit. Um, aging, it, it just brings in a number of different topics around authenticity. And so if it doesn't get a rack of awards, I would be very disappointed, <laughs> very disappointed. Mm, yeah, I mean, the monolithic identity piece, I think, is so fascinating because we talk about intersectionality on this podcast a lot. We talk about the ways in which we make assumptions and stereotypes about people based on these kind of like monodimensional understandings. And yet we see that over and over again, that the construction of who a person is exists under this white gaze, right, or male in yeah. the case of women and so if we don't yeah. if that image particularly um doesn't conform it is assumed to be implausible or a waste of time or not a money maker yes. and so it's just this constant need to perform a stereotype or a particular set of characteristics that is defined by the dominant right so male, straight, white, able-bodied. And so you're just making me think about how that shows up in all different walks of life and industries, not just publishing, but I could see, you know, how it would be particularly powerful within a, in a book or, an, or um, a, a work of fiction, I guess. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, um, yeah. Yeah. And the, yeah. So definitely yeah. looking forward to seeing it. So I will circle back once I have, um, so we yes. can, we can, debrief um and hopefully i will laugh at the right times <laughs> i'm sure you're gonna laugh at the right times i'm sure you will i'm sure um 
But Lisa, let's jump into phase two. And I, I feel like we need to put like the big asterisk with the disclaimer on phase two, because we've realized this probably is the height of complexity when it comes to equity, inclusion, identity, uh, expectations. And this notion of Dr. Claudine Gay, who recently resigned as president of Harvard. And I think what's really interesting, and Lisa, you just interrupt me where you like, but for me, it's really hard not to read all of the news and so forth from, yes, obviously a black woman's perspective, but also from a administrator's perspective, not saying that I agree with how administration works, but I know um, I was jokingly telling uh, someone earlier that I don't care if you're dropping an announcement about basket weaving being started as a new major, somebody vets your language. General counsel probably takes a look at something, at least five people approve what you say as president and then it goes out, even for things that may seem nominal, right? And so for something at this level, when it comes to Dr. Gay, um, her, um, her congressional hearing and what she shared and what she was challenged to respond to, um, we're not gonna go all the way there in that because I think 10 minutes doesn't do the conversation justice. So we're not going to that point. But what I will say is that again, you have this Professor, this former dean, right? Lisa, she was dean for what, five years, I believe, um, that eventually was challenged in such a way on something so petty, a um, number of different things, but the final straw sounds like it was about a good bit of plagiarism as well. Um, and so it sucks, right? Because, and the reason why it sucks, especially as I hear it, and Lisa, I know that you can feel at least a portion of this as a extremely highly educated woman is that, damn it, we're never good enough, never, on any level. And so plagiarism often feels like the easiest thing to pull the string of, because it's one of those things where you can't unring that bell. So even if you're cleared, which she was, um, and she has the um, support, uh, as well as the, how can I say, the support and the vetting, of her own colleagues to say, no, all of her scholarship is solid. It's almost like you can never erase the stain of the accusation of plagiarism, which seems like very easy targeting for Dr. Gay. So I'm very sad. It's only been six months. And I was on a panel back in October, Lisa, with two other African-American women, um, Dr. Pamela Larde, as well as um, Dr. Amanda, forgive me, I'm forgetting her last name. Um, and we, all three of us kind of jokingly, yet not, said, you need to bubble wrap Dr. Gay. Um, because we knew that she would deal with some challenges. And here we are, Lisa, here we are. Yeah, it's definitely not lost on me that of the, you know, minuscule number of university presidents nationwide who are women, let alone women of color, that um they are being attacked in such a way um i mean my friend texted me yesterday and i like couldn't get a text off to you quick enough <laughs> to say that she had resigned because i thought that she it was i thought that she was safe um what stings me is that i understand the position that 
we must hold university administrators, including presidents, to the same standards to which we hold university professors and students vis-a-vis plagiarism, right? But I know of multiple white men at Harvard who have been accused of and found responsible for plagiarism in their academic work that still have their tenured positions at Harvard, right? So one person in particular, Dr. Lawrence Tribe, he is a constitutional law professor and I know him because I wrote a dissertation on the Supreme Court, shocking, I know. Um, And I used his book heavily, so I was really familiar with his work. And then in the early 2000s, it came out that he had plagiarized um, a portion of that book. Um, And I looked, and he was actually one of the professors that came out in support of Dr. Gay most recently. But it's just curious to me that he still has a job and there were a number of other people in the early 2000s, mostly men, white men, who also had plagiarism charges um, and they were found various degrees of responsibility for that, but they all still have their jobs. I mean, you can look this stuff up on the internet. So when we, it's disingenuous to me to say that Dr. Gay is being held to the same standards as everyone else and she shouldn't get a free pass when I know for an absolute fact that there are many, many white men at Harvard academics who have gotten a free pass and still have their position. Um, So it's just inconsistent. The application is inconsistent. She's being held accountable for things she shouldn't, other people have not been held accountable for. She is being held accountable for behaviors and systems and attitudes and documents and policies that precede her and grow out of decades and decades of um, case law that has often been um, molded and shaped by the conservative movement. And now, so for me, it feels like a witch hunt. It's always been a witch hunt. Six months in the position, like people were going for her from the get-go, right? Because this belief that a black woman couldn't possibly be credentialed enough. She couldn't possibly be smart enough or academic enough to be the president of Harvard University. So do not tell me that white supremacy is not involved in this. It is written, painted, slapped all over it, right? It's complicated, but to say that it's not about race is just misguided as far as I'm concerned. I'm pretty angry about it. As you can see, I got mm-hmm. really going up as I talk about this. But um this yeah. that she could never be excellent enough, right? Like there's nothing that Dr. Gay could have done that would have put her above this, like uh, what would have been the case if she were a white man. Right? There's just nothing. Um and I think part of her resignation is self preservation, right? because she was the recipient of some pretty vitriolic and racist attacks in the last month, or actually since she's been president, but it just went on steroids in the last month. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, I completely agree. And, you know, the timing, Lisa, and, you know, I can't recount everything, but obviously there was a lot happening in 2021 going, excuse me, 2023 going into 2024. And so what gets me about this is think about everything that created um, a perfect storm for white supremacy to take over, right? So, for example, we we already talked about her her appointment and so forth in uh, July July one of last year. Uh, then we had the uh, the striking down of affirmative action, which is really curious around about that time. Um, then last year, of course, we had two other black women presidents who passed away. One of which passed away at a university event. 
Okay. Um, Dr. Joanne, I'm sorry, Joanne Epps. She's not a doctor, excuse me. She's Esquire, I believe. She's an attorney. Um, so at Temple University, um, President Epps passed away literally at an event where she slumped over at an event on campus at the university. That's one piece. Um, Dr. O, a Dr. Arinthia T. Montague of Volunteer State Community College, one of my sorority sisters, pretty young, passed away as well. Um, and so, you know, given that, you know, think about how many times, Lisa, we've talked about um, the self-preservation of certain people where we say, and I, I know I've said it before, sometimes you, you win this game by not playing because you have to preserve yourself. And so we talked before about uh, Leslie Loco, for example, she was the Dean of Architecture uh, at the City College of New York that resigned. Why? <laughs> well, a lot of people would think, oh, well, you know, she just couldn't rise to the occasion. She wasn't excellent enough. She didn't know what she was doing as an administrator, et cetera. But yet it's very clear documentation that there was probably about seven years of no dean in office and folks were expecting her to clean house and get things in order in a very short period of time going back to that glass cliff uh, that you mentioned before in such a way that this feeds into lisa what i've told you i don't subscribe to they were looking for black girl magic and it just did not exist and should not be pressured to exist. Um, but there you have it. And she specifically said in her resignation that it was a radical act of self-preservation. And so at what point are Black women going to say, okay, we have uh, maybe two to three options. We have the option of oh, not challenging and pushing forward social justice. That's one option and staying in a role. Pushing for what's equitable and appropriate for folks and it being a witch hunt or dying with our hands at the plow of the cause. Let me tell y'all something. I love what I do, but I have people dependent on me and I can't risk my life for y'all on none of it because I have people dependent on me. So the, the act of survival oftentimes is an act of resistance. And so I feel like she kind of exercised that in her, in her resignation along with other black women last year and this year. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think we would both just say is if you are looking at the situation and say it's about plagiarism, well, it's about the congressional hearing, um, we would encourage you to scratch a little harder at that surface because um, it's definitely not just about that, right? We're talking about double standards here. We're talking about the extreme burden that Black women um, yes. have to face. And you know, even today I was looking at the New York Times and there was an opinion piece that talked about Dr. Gay being a social justice hire. And I just, you, that piece would never have been written for a white man. It may not have been written for a black man. It may not have been written for a white woman, but you would like, you know, I think we can um, agree that her identity as a black woman is what motivated those assumptions. Um, that she could never possibly be good enough. I mean, we saw it with now Associate Justice Ketanji Brown Jackson too, right? Like how could yeah. we possibly have a yeah. black woman on the Supreme Court? There's just no way. This this stuff mm -hmm. is never said explicitly, right? This is where you need to apply critical thinking and you need to look below the surface. But mm -hmm. I think we'll, we'll, we, can, we can leave this here, but it transitions us nicely into our final phase today, which is to a discussion of rest. 
and what does it mean to truly rest and how do we make assumptions about people and their capabilities or their commitment when they're actually taking rest seriously and um i had listened yeah. to a podcast a couple of days ago that talked about this like what does it mean to actually rest like what does true rest look like and how do we make space for that in our lives and i just i thought it was interesting because it, it goes beyond self-care and going for a run or spending time with family right because in many mm -hmm. cases spending time with family is also work so um right. you know I texted you forthwith with the episode, but I know that you've also been looking into this issue because there's a couple of books and also um, a movement, right, around reclaiming rest, particularly for communities of color, um, given the U.S.'s history of enslavement and forced labor. So I'm wondering yeah. what your thoughts are. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a good thought. You know, I I really appreciate the book Rest is Resistance. I even bought, um, I'll have to send you a picture of it, Lisa. The um, It's called the Rest Deck. And it's like a deck of cards and you pull a card from that deck um, each day where you're uh, engaging in intentional rest to reflect on things or uh, to give yourself permission to rest, which is not often for women and especially women of color. Um, and so I really appreciate that movement um, that the NAP ministry is bringing up. So if you get a chance, follow follow uh, Trisha on uh, Instagram and a number of other places, but also buy the book, Rest is Re Resistance. Um, because again, Lisa, you and I have challenged ourselves and each other on this very topic of, I deserve rest, period. and where did we come up with the concept of even deserving rest, but more so it's literally just a human physical requirement. Like I, I don't walk up to you, Lisa, and say, hey, I deserve a bottle of water. No, it's just known that my body needs water to survive. And so I don't, you know, I should not have to justify or uh, sometimes folks get into the grind culture, if you will, where, you know, you have to grind and, you know, do over, above, beyond, um, to the point of physical breakdown in order to be worthy of rest. And that's what the book is really challenging. And I remember, and this was, gosh, this had to be in 2020, maybe 2021. I loved that back then my therapist brought up the topic of the different types of rest, Lisa, which I thought was interesting because my original brain was like, yeah, sleep, right? And I'm like, me. <laughs> that's one slice of a larger rest pie, but that's not the only type of rest when you need, um, of course, the physical piece of rest, but that doesn't always mean sleeping. It may mean stretching or it may mean uh, water, putting your body in a body of water, if you will. Um, but there's lots of different ways, the physical way, the mental breaks. Maybe sometimes it's just sensory where you're turning lights off or I remember when I used to have really terrible migraines uh, when I was pregnant with Trey and it was the sensory rest where I had to use the very thick curtains to make it dark and that literally forced my brain to rest. Um, some people are creative folks. Lisa, you've mentioned to me before how you enjoy doing certain things that are creative because your brain gets to function in a different way. Um, emotional rest. Uh, social, you know, not necessarily always being around other people, even the folks that you love, sometimes you just need your own space. Um, and then for those who are spiritual or even those who are not spiritual, maybe you're not religious, but you engage in meditation um, in some way. So all these different types of rest. And I'm like, 
this is very cool, number one, that there's more than one type of rest, number one. And number two, how do we continue to unplug from the capitalism that wraps us in this notion that rest must be earned? And if you haven't done enough, you don't get it. I'm not a fan of that either. Right, right. It's kind of like this, you just made me think of, um, I'm going to go work out prior to my Thanksgiving dinner or prior to my ex dinner, right? To quote, unquote, make room for it. Like you have to like preemptively do something hard and difficult to then create space. Like that's just a really problematic way of thinking about food and your body and what you're allowed and what enjoyment looks like. And so that's a similar, like, I've got to work 67 hours this week because I'm taking three days off work next week, right? Or, you know, or this need that even though I'm taking vacation yes. days, paid time off, that is my right and my benefit that I need to be still on my phone, like looking um, and checking emails because when I come back, my emails will be just so overwhelming. I just need to stay on top of them. And that is quote unquote self-care. Like that's a very problematic structure that we've created. The U.S., um, work culture is very different than work culture in many other places. Um, so there's something that grind that you talked about that we've created here that um, is not very forgiving of people who want to take it easy or want to work less hours or maybe want to work a 35 hour work week or a 30 hour work week even, right? And then I think it's important to think about that in the context of our history right and who gets to take rest and the ways in which um you know the enslavement of african people and also low-income people over time having to work three jobs right but then they're considered lazy yes <laughs> um yes you know um all of those welfare to work programs are just predicated on this notion that mm. if you're not working you are lazy despite mm -hmm. the fact that you could be working three minimum wage jobs and still not be able to pay your rent. Right. That's and right. so to, and then, you know, maybe that tops you over the amount that you need to get financial support, right. Through the government. I mean, it's just such a effed up system and how we as a culture equate true rest with laziness for some people. Right. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And then, you know, to your point, once you layer all the multiple identities on top of that, it gets really hairy and scary, right? So, you know, yes, there was a time where there were enslaved people in this country who rested when they were told they could. Now, if Shauna wants to go lay down across her couch in the middle of the day because she works for herself and feels like it, and oh, by the way, she actually did work 14 hours the day before, there's no one predicating there. There's no permission to be received other than my own permission or your own permission. Um, and so, you know, given that, I think, you know, it is an adjustment. You we, we often say for those who are listening to us, we often say that we share a brain. Lisa and I share a brain on that US piece. You went right there for it around how that's not part of our culture necessarily, because I remember being in the hospital and Trey may have been three hours old. And number one, I was still getting work emails from the university, even though everyone knew I was at the office. But number two, why the hell was I checking the emails? We're both wrong, <laughs> right? So, you know, bring both of them up at the same time. We were both 
enculturated into this of rest when you can, but not necessarily all the time because laziness is you didn't work enough. Well, what the hell is enough? Like we even have to question what's working enough. Um, and so, you know, given that, I think all of that is really um, something we have to deprogram out of ourselves. Um, and it's tough to do. And it's especially tough to do depending on what your identities are. Yeah. And that's why I think that rest as resistance is such an important concept to ground, right? Like rest isn't laziness. Rest, as you pointed out, is like water and your needs it. But also how, who are the people that have been denied rest, right? And they're the folks that find it hardest to take rest because they have been indoctrinated that mm -hmm. rest is bad. So bucking that trend and saying, you know what? I am going to rest. I'm just going to sit here and I'm yeah. going to just stare off into space if that's what I need to yep. do, right? Because rest doesn't necessarily mean doing, doing, that's right? right? That's to to your point. That's um, right. Okay. Yeah. And so I would, yeah, like I question it, like even your comment about going to lie on the sofa in the middle of the day. Well, by the way, I walked for, I worked 14 hours yesterday. You did not need to qualify your comment by telling right. people that you worked 14 hours the day before. Right. But that is a social, that's socialized. And I totally do it. Like if I work yeah. five hours in a day, I feel like I have fa failed. Maybe failed isn't the right word, but there's something that feels yeah. wrong about it right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So because I, I remember the stories where, um, you know, you'll see these memes. Now this goes into the gendered area of rest, where you'll see these memes where I think I saw one last week, where this is very gendered, y'all. We know this is not true for everyone, but this is gendered, where um, the man, um, he had like a head cold or something and it, it it made it even more ridiculous you know he had tissue sticking out of his nose and his face his nose is red i mean it's like you know on a deathbed type thing right and then you have the woman who has the very same cold she's still making breakfast in her robe she's trying to get the kids ready for school she's looking for her own briefcase because she needs to log on for her meeting and even the gendered piece of who gets to rest like Lisa, I'm even thinking about the language man cold at this point where it's like, that's interesting that women can't have a cold and take care of themselves. And are we doing it differently from men? And like all, it just explodes my brain when we start thinking about how rest is interpreted in sometimes extremely toxic ways for certain people in certain groups. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think that's a great place to end. Go buy the book, Rest is Resistance. Um, <laughs> yes. So there was quite the um, zinger of an episode for you all. Hopefully we've given you lots to think about, lots of rabbit trails to follow. Um, yeah. But where can folks find us, Shauna, if they want to engage with us between now and our next episode? Yeah, absolutely. So please make sure y'all check us out. Please go to YouTube to unfazed, unedited, the un in the brackets in front of unfazed. 
so please go find us there on YouTube. Thank you all for leaving uh, the comments and so forth. Lisa and I have been checking those out and we do our best to respond to those. So please make sure you keep on listening and commenting. Uh, Instagram, we're there on Instagram. We're also on LinkedIn. And please know that on LinkedIn, we do uh, give you a heads up as to when there's a new episode coming. But then we also too drop other articles related to the podcast that we've talked about. And so Lisa, I think I'm going to drop some, uh, some more complex articles about Dr. Gay um, on the LinkedIn page. Um, you can certainly email us with questions. Email us info at unfazedpodcast.com and of course our website, unfazedpodcast.com, where you can find the 115 episodes uh, previously that are archived as well as our newer ones that started this year, uh, this past year. So please make sure you catch up on the new and the old shows. Um, it's interesting, Lisa, I would be interested to see how many of our followers have been following us since the old podcast now to the new one, right? Hopefully they came along with us. Um, but please like, subscribe, leave a review, share it with your friends, your coworkers, use it for a staff meeting, use it for a conversation give it to other people in this phase of your life. So until next week, we'll talk to you soon. See you next week.